welcome back to the Grace Through Recovery podcast. My name is Andrea. I'm a licensed professional counselor and a person in long-term recovery, and I'm so glad that you're here today. So today I got a haircut, and you may think like, okay, so what? We all get haircuts, but I was thinking about it and how easily and like sneaky the old codependent behavior can creep back in or the old thoughts of, you know, I need to take care of everyone else before myself and I'm not important and I can wait till the end and um, it's no big deal what I want because I let my hair get really long, had a lot of some of those thoughts and then finally occurred to me, like, I don't really feel like myself. This is not who I am. Why am I letting my hair grow? Why would I not cut it and color it the way I like and do what I want just for me instead of thinking, you know, I need to please others or make sure that others' needs are met before mine. So I did that today and I took care of myself and I feel like me again and I feel so much better. And so I hope that for you, if you can relate to any of that, that you do something today to take care of you, or if there's something that you're thinking of that you've been putting off as well, that you go ahead and take care of that for you because you deserve that and you're worthy of doing that. So for today's episode, I want to talk about the difference between controlling behaviors, enabling behaviors, and then what does support look like for your addicted loved one? Um, so first we'll start with control. You know, I think that a lot of times we are not controlling or manipulative on purpose, right? Like a lot of these behaviors are born out of love for your person. Like this oftentimes is a person you love more than anyone in the world and they're struggling and they're hurting and you would do anything you can to help them get better. And so we want to try to fix and um, the behaviors we end up engaging in are very controlling. And for me, for a long time, I didn't think I was controlling at all. Uh, And the more I worked in recovery, the longer I went to Al-Anon meetings, the more I worked on my codependency, I realized that I can be incredibly controlling. And again, you know, it comes out of love for a person. It also comes out of this really need for safety and to find balance and to not live in chaos. However, what we end up doing is just creating more chaos for ourselves. So it's so important to learn more about what it looks like to be controlling sort of the tiny ways we can be controlling and how that really may be negatively impacting your life um, and making your life unmanageable. So I'll talk about some specific examples of how we try to control the disease of addiction. But first, I'd like to read this excerpt from How Al-Anon Works. And this is from pages 46 through 47. So it says, We confuse caring with controlling because we don't know how to allow others the dignity of being themselves. Those of us who learned to control whatever we could in order to survive in an alcoholic environment now continue to try to control everything and everybody without realizing what we're doing. From past experience, we are terrified to let others do as they wish. 
but we only harm ourselves and others when we insist upon approaching every interaction in this way. Our relationships are damaged and our lives become even more unmanageable. Likewise, when we let go of the illusion of power of addiction and over other people, we move into a more positive, productive, and rewarding direction. So I think one hint that maybe you're engaging in some controlling behaviors or that your thoughts are leaning more towards control is having thoughts like, if they would just blank, if only they would do this and sort of examine what your behavior is that comes after that thought. Are you doing something to manipulate the situation to get them to do what you want? That's control. I think, you know, manipulation is like a hard word. Um, It sounds sort of ugly. You probably have a lot of thoughts about how your addictive loved one is manipulative. Um, And they are in their active addiction. Absolutely. And as family members, we can be too. You know, it's sort of like... um, our last ditch effort. It could sound like, if you love me, you would stop. If you love the kids, you would stop. You know, those are very manipulative phrases. Again, like born out of desperation for someone to stop using substances. Um, But I think, you know, I just say that as an example of what that can sound like and how we may not realize in the moment that that's manipulative and it is and obviously doesn't work it's not a matter of choice of course your loved one loves you loves your family if they could stop they would so some other examples of trying to control the disease of addiction counting emptying out hiding bottles That begging, scolding, nagging, or pleading, again, like I was just saying, if you love me, you would. Scolding, so talking down to someone, sort of shaming them, this idea that I could shame someone into changing, which absolutely does not work. Pleading and begging with someone to stop, which doesn't help them stop, and then it just creates low self-worth for ourselves. Another example of control is tracking where your loved one's going, you know, having a tracking app on their phone, things like that. Another example of control is allowing drug or alcohol use in your home. Letting that happen, maybe you do it to monitor the usage, having this idea of if they're going to do it anyway, they should do it here and then I can watch what they're doing. That just puts you in, you know, the position of, a monitor, probation officer, something like that takes us out of family role. Also, if you change your plans to stay home with your loved one so they won't be alone, that's trying to control their behavior and what they're doing. If you don't follow recommendations from professionals or if you intervene on your addicted loved one from being able to follow recommendations from professionals, that's really saying that you or I think I know what's best over this professional. So in my work, sometimes I see that as, you know, we'll recommend that a client go to sober living and their family says, no, absolutely. They cannot leave the house. We have to have them here with us. They can't go. Or we recommend that someone goes to residential treatment and their spouse says, 
I have to have them here with me. We've never been apart. I don't know if I could handle it if we were apart. You know, and then that becomes about the spouse and not the addicted person who needs help to stop using. And that is controlling the behavior and not listening to the professional. Other types of control, of course, like trying to find a sponsor for your loved one, going to meetings with them to make sure they're going, all of that. And so, you know, even just reading those things, I've done a lot of them. I relate to them. And it sends my brain back into this crazy making space. And that's all trying to control does. It makes our lives out of control, unmanageable. We're like spinning our wheels all the time and still confused as to why it's not working. We do all of those things, right? Like I can mark bottles to know how much someone is drinking. I can track their phone and know where they're going, monitor their use. I can monitor their bank account, all those things. And if someone's going to drink or use, they're going to drink and use. And I have no control over that at all. And really what happens, and you may experience this yourself too, if someone's trying to control you, we want to buck up against that. We want to do the opposite of what they want us to do. And the addiction absolutely works like that. So really what we're doing is actually harming more than helping. So you may relate to some of those controlling behaviors. So that's on one end of this. We may swing all the way to the other side in some enabling behaviors. You may go back and forth between them. Um, And again, as like we work through our recovery, you'll notice you'll have more awareness into what these behaviors are, how they may be negatively impacting you and your loved one, and then you can work to change them. It's not like you're going to listen to this and to me share all these things and then never engage in any harmful behaviors again, right? Like that's just unrealistic. Uh, We're all humans and maybe have engaged in these behaviors for so many years, it takes time to do something different. So I say that to say like, give yourself some grace and compassion as we're learning this. So I have another reading for enabling as well. This comes from the Daily Al-Anon Reader, Courage to Change, page 5. I was terribly confused about the meaning of compassion when I came to Al-Anon. I thought it meant making excuses for the alcoholic or covering bad checks. Al-Anon helped me to find another word for this behavior, enabling. I learned that when I cleaned up the consequences of alcoholic behavior, I enabled the alcoholic to continue drinking comfortably and acting out without having to pay the price. A more compassionate way to respond to those I love might be to allow them to face the consequences of their actions, even when it will cause them pain. Sometimes the most compassionate thing I can do is to let others take responsibility for their behavior. And that can be so hard, right? Especially if it's your kid and it's like negatively impacting their job or their ability to go to school or get good grades. Like as parents, we want to protect them and do everything we can. And that's your job, right? Like that's part of being a parent. And we can see where it becomes if it, it when it shifts from protection into enabling and when the enabling, just like the control causes your life to become unmanageable and it prevents your loved one not only from experiencing the consequences of their actions 
but from experiencing when they make an achievement, right? If we're always swooping in to save someone, they don't get the benefit of either of those things. So I've come up with some questions here to ask yourself to know if you're enabling. Am I trying to interfere with the natural consequences of a loved one's choices? Am I trying to do for someone what they could do for themselves? And I think that at the very bottom line is the definition of enabling, doing something for someone else that they could do themselves. Am I doing what I think is best for me? Do I resent what I'm doing? Is this a loving choice or am I acting out of fear? I think when we can say to someone, I love you enough to allow you to face natural consequences, even when it's so painful, so you can take responsibility for yourself and learn necessary lessons to become a healthy adult, what a gift that is. And what a burden off of us that we do not have to carry around. You don't have to carry all that responsibility with you. And you give your loved one the dignity of being an adult and making their own choices and living their life freely. So some examples of enabling behavior could be waking someone up for school, waking someone up for work, you know, putting your life on hold to wake someone up so they don't face natural consequences of their behavior when then you might face some consequences, right? Denial, convincing yourself there isn't a problem, convincing yourself that someone doesn't need to go to meetings or someone doesn't need treatment or those things aren't necessary, they'll be okay. That just enables the use to continue. Other examples of enabling, justification, you know, thinking or saying something like, they deserve a drink after a stressful day, or I'm sure their drug use will slow down after college. Everyone uses like that in college. That's just a way to justify and deny the behavior that's happening, and it enables it to continue. Making excuses for someone else's behavior, they're not feeling well, they're tired, it's also enabling to suppress your own feelings. A lot of times we walk on eggshells. We don't want to say something to upset someone else or upset the balance. And that just enables someone to continue treating us in unacceptable ways, not speaking up for ourselves. And it doesn't do anything to help the situation change. Having this idea that our family has to look perfect from the outside, right? Like, not wanting anyone to think negatively of us or poorly about us, sort of like protecting your family's image, that's enabling. Doing any sort of rescuing behaviors, like, like it said, writing, or bailing people out, giving them money, saving them in that way, taking over responsibilities for the addicted person, giving them money time and time again, not setting boundaries. All of that enables them. So anything that continues to allow the addiction to grow. You know, if we continue to provide a soft landing place for someone, they don't have any incentive to stop using. Because why would they? Because we're there to bail them out. And so then we get to supports. We've looked at what's controlling on one side, what's enabling on the other side. And then like a big question I get all the time in my work is how do we support someone? How do we know what the rules are? What's the right thing to do? Um, and of course, there's no like 
it's it's not black and white. There's no rule book to this, but there are definitely things that are very clearly support and not enabling and not controlling behavior. So as a family member or friend of an addict, it's important to learn how to redirect the efforts that are presumed to be helpful, but are actually harmful. Addicted persons must learn to recognize and accept responsibility and consequences of their own actions. By taking responsibility for enabling behaviors, positive change will happen and will not only make a positive impact on the addicted person, but on you as well. And it's understandable that most enablers and most the times when we act out in controlling behaviors, we all have a warm heart. We mean no harm. We want to help our person, but realistically, it's not healthy, and it's up to you to continue down this path or put a stop to it. So some examples of support. Learning about the disease of addiction, what you're doing. Understanding your role in the family disease of addiction. Understanding that we all have a role in this disease. Either you can't control it, you didn't cause it, you can't cure it, and you can't contribute to it. So learning what that contribution looks like and how to change it. Changing that role in the disease, doing something different, setting boundaries. Starting your own recovery either through individual therapy or outside support meetings like Al-Anon, Nar-Anon, Families Anonymous. That is supportive, supportive to you and your loved one. It can be a sign of support if you choose not to drink or use drugs in front of your addicted loved one, not to have alcohol in the house, not to have drugs in the house. Setting boundaries, using effective communication skills, and that's even if your loved one isn't using them back. Being able to approach your addicted loved one with love and without judgment, you know, coming from more of a compassionate place is supportive. Offering car rides to meetings or to work while your loved one saves for a car and is in active recovery. Encouraging your loved one to ask for what they need from you rather than you just assuming what they need and doing it for them. And then looking at what kind of support do you need, right? Asking for what you need from your loved one or from the other people in your life. All of that is supportive. And I think what we find is there is a feeling we get inside when we are trying to control. It's, um, like a tension inside of us. It's frustrating. We get resentful. We're angry. And then when we're trying to enable sort of another feeling inside where we're very anxious and worried and, um, again, like coming to someone's rescue, right? We, sometimes we can have this feeling of like self-importance and we need to be needed. So those are good indicators. If you are, uh, feeling those that you may be acting more in controlling ways or more enabling. And then it is uncomfortable when we are typically engaging in one of those to then move to support, right? So if support is looking like setting boundaries when we've never set boundaries before, that's uncomfortable. Um, and you'll begin to notice it's a different sort of uncomfortable. So we're choosing our discomfort, right? We can keep acting the way we've always acted, get the same results we've always done. That's uncomfortable. Or we can start acting in a new way, get new results, also uncomfortable, 
but we're moving towards health and healthy interdependent relationships. So that's all I've got for today. I hope that was helpful to look at the difference between control, enabling, and support. Um, I'd love to hear from you if you've got other thoughts about that on Instagram at Grace Through Recovery. As always, you know, if you know someone who could benefit from this podcast, please share with them so they know they're not alone. Please help me out and help other people to find it by rating and reviewing wherever you're listening. And as always, I hope you remember how worthy you are of the gifts of recovery. Mm -hmm.